Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil Mackay and I'm your host. This is season six. Don't forget you can go back through the whole catalogue and find all five seasons of 7 Million Bikes. Make sure you subscribe and turn on the notifications. Follow 7 Million Bikes on Facebook. Go on there and give it a like. We're also on Instagram. If you do enjoy this content, then please go on the link in the notes for patreon.com and you can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and you get some cool benefits like free tickets. You'll get early bonus content as well. If you just want to buy me a coffee, there's also a link in the show notes. You can send me a coffee as well. So thank you very much to the previous people that sent me coffees. They were very much enjoyed. So very, very much appreciated. So enjoy 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. I'm excited to introduce my guest today. She has a restaurant in Houston, Texas, where she spends half of her time pre-pandemic. Three restaurants in Saigon is a celebrity chef who's been featured on NBC, US Today, and currently has three shows on Netflix. My guest today is Nikki Tran. The world is is so complex now because of, you know, migration, I guess. We have these mixings of cultures, which... So to me, I find it interesting, and I love talking to people like yourself because it exposes me to these different ways of thinking and cultures. Because I'm from Scotland, and my family are all white. You know, and I'm from a monoculture. I don't, I'm not exposed to that um, mixing of, of cultures. 
And so I, I can, from the amount of people I've spoken to on the podcast and in real life, it, I know that it's so challenging and so difficult because you've got these opposing views almost coming together and your mum, the mums and dads, parents have moved their children to somewhere for a better life, like you said, or a different education or whatnot. But then they still impose those cultural beliefs that they've taken with them. And that, it must be so difficult for you then. So how did your parents react to you moving back and forth between countries, going from working for a Macron to then being a chef? How did that play out? Um, they don't like it too much, but they're very supportive though. They just, they, they worry me not having a family, you know, uh, a, a traditional family or not having, uh, a partner and they worry for my health. Uh, and they said, like, why can't you stay in one place? But, but, and I think overall they still very supportive. Um, but one thing I have to tell you about the, the parents with the kids in, in the U.S., some parents, Vietnamese parents, I feel that they, um, they're doing it wrong. I'm saying, uh, I'm sorry that I, I'm saying this, but they try so hard to give the kids a better life that they let the kids speak English only. They want the kid to be fully American. But on the other hand, you know, like you said, that impose those, you know, cultural beliefs on them. However, when the kids grow up, they can't not connect to their parents through languages because the parents don't speak English that well. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you should see that, you know, and I have seen so many, so many families like that. Mm. You know, the kids just don't speak Vietnamese at all. And to me, it's just another language. It's very, it's just as important as English. Well, and funny. the more you know, the better. It's funny you say that because I've just interviewed Lam Visai on the show and he's Laotian, Vietnamese and German. He says, um, and so he wasn't taught Vietnamese growing up and then got the opportunity to move to Vietnam but couldn't speak the language. So for him, when we talked about it, it was the most challenging thing. He does speak it now fluently and he thinks, you know, obviously because he comes from that background, he probably picked it up easier than than maybe someone like I would. But it still took him two years to to learn the language. And even for my wife, so she's, her mom and dad are are Mexican-American, spoke Spanish, all of our extended family speak Spanish. But exact same thing that you said, her mom and dad brought her and her sister up just to speak English and didn't teach them Spanish because, again, they wanted them to have those opportunities and give them just the same thing that you're talking about. But now she wished she could speak Spanish, you know. But kids learn very fast, you know. They could, they, they can learn like several languages at the same time. Mm-hmm. So why do you want to take that opportunities away from them? You know, why do you refuse them to be more competitive mm-hmm. uh, when they grow up? If they have, they know two languages or three languages or even more, you know, I, I think it's not fair for them. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing to be ashamed of your own language or your own culture. You know, I, I know that my English is not perfect. But the thing is that I'm proud of my ability to go to another country and live there and learn learn the language and still speak my mother tongue, you know. And 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 so what? You know, if I you know, I just say that some of my friends said, hey, go to Vietnam for a few years like me 
and see how well you can speak Vietnamese. Then you can make fun of my English. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you for know? sure. Well, I've told this story before, and I've told this joke on stage before. So when we first came to Vietnam, one of our good friends was Mai, and she's Australian-Vietnamese, so she lives in Melbourne. Her parents are, are Vietnamese. And so she, and she can speak the language, right? And so her first week in Vietnam, she um, was talking to a taxi driver in Vietnamese. And he's like, oh, my God, you're Vietnamese. It's so good. And she's like, oh, you know, thank you very much. Oh, my parents are Vietnamese. And he's like, oh, your Vietnamese is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that has come up on this show again and again and again, talking to people similar to yourself, is do they identify as VQ? And, and I know from talking to people, there's no real definition. I know some people who are born in Vietnam, went overseas to study and come back, can be identified or call themselves VQ. People who are born overseas, but Vietnamese parents come back. And one of the things you said is you don't like the term VQ. So what's your definition of it and, and why don't you like it? Well, if you read about a term, uh, the VQ term, you know, originated but to call the group of people that have to go, you know, far away to um, from their motherland just just to uh, to to get food or to work to is like you know like how people have to leave their country. To make a living, but at that time, you know that at that period of time when the term was created, I think it was it didn't mean well. Um, and 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 also, you know, there was a time that the Vidgil came back here with money. Uh, people said, "Oh, you know, Vidgil, the rich." And try to marry a bit you, and then now you know when the country so much better, you know it has a lot of more money, you know it has a lot more money than before, but uh, and then they said, oh, bit has no money. Bit you have no money, like you know we spend more money than than um, you know, than nothing. But the thing is that they for they forget that you know all the money that have been sent overseas. Uh, for years and years and years when they were very, very poor. And uh, even now, there's still people that's sending money home and, and it makes a big point, you know. It was in and, the news just last week. I think it said it had increased lately, the amount of money that's being sent back to Ho Chi Minh from yes. overseas Vietnam. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I just don't feel like we should call each other bit or Vietnamese or whatever, which is human being, you know. Um, um, you know, I'm here, then I'm Vietnamese, then and I when I'm in the US, I'm American and I don't care if, you know, any person come to me and say, Oh, you're not American, I say, I am American, you know, I hold an, a US passport and and regardless, you know, I am American. So I don't want people to frame, you know, other people into something that they they want want to frame. Mm. You know, I'm American because I pay taxes and, and you know. Well, you're a citizen? Yeah, I'm a yeah. citizen. Well, I used to live in America for uh, nearly five years. 
And all my American friends would tease me. They'd be like, oh, you just want to be American. And I was like, I mean, I, if I'd stayed there, I would have gone down that track. But I was like, no, I don't want to be American. I want to be a Scottish person in America. I was like, I'll, I do. I loved it. I love being there. I do love America as a country. It's a fantastic place and amazing people. A lot of problems, but a lot of good people as well. Um, I, I love I love uh, my countries. You know, mm. I love Vietnam. I love you know America. So so I I, I don't see any reason why I have to be called um, this and that. I just want to be called me. Mm. So what do you think if someone identifies or if you ever met someone in America or here in Vietnam and they say, oh, you know, I'm Viet Q, like what, what's your reaction to that? Oh, I usually say just don't call me Viet Q, just I'm me, you know, or sometimes I just ignore it. Um, but it Sometimes it's just you know just people want to call uh, Vidgil just because they 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 know that you're from overseas. That's all you know. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't mean anything. But uh, I think it's just it's just me. You know, I personally don't like that. But it is a I know that it is a controversial kind of loaded term, and it's individual. So some people and we've had them on the show. You know, I'll say to them, similar I said to you, or do I introduce you as a VQ or whatnot? And some people are like, yep, yeah, it's fine. You call me a VQ. Then other people are like, no, I'm Swiss, Swiss Vietnamese or whatnot. And then, but but then then uh, then there are people that they think they're VQ, they're better than the Vietnamese too. Mm. So that's this. It's very, you know, it's complex, said, right? com Yeah, complex and very conflicting. Mm. So I'd rather not get into that. You know, just you know, I'm I'm Nikki or yeah, I'm yeah. Goba. You know, Goba is the name of my restaurant, and everyone call me with the name of my <laughs> restaurant too. Or, the Koba is a pronoun, right? Goba. Huh? Is this the pronoun sense? Mm -hmm. What is Koba translate? Goba. Goba means the third uncle. Third uncle. Third but uncle. It, yeah, but it has a lot of meaning to it, though. <laughs> you know, from uh, the region where I'm from. Yeah. Where my 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 parents from? Not not where I'm I'm from here in Saigon, but uh, um, it it means a third brother, the third son, the third boss, um. Like the underdog in the family, right? Okay. Yeah, and uh, it, 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 it means a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the most challenging things about Vietnamese. Not only the tones, the tones, but the pronouns as well. Is uh, it's it's uh, it's funny. Makes me laugh. Would it now? I don't want to go too deep, but obviously, right now in the states, there's a, a massive problem with violence against Asians in America. And there's a big campaign, you know, hashtag stop Asian hate, which is just horrible to see right now. Have you noticed a change in the years that you've been in America? Has it gotten worse for you or better or have you? It got better and then it got worse. And I bet I could guess that was probably about five years ago it started to get yes, worse. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and there's so many, so many Vietnamese people refuse to see that. They refuse to see other people's pain. They refuse to see other Asian people, Vietnamese people that got beaten up until it happened to them. Right. And it's sad, and I hate it. I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a shame that you refuse to see what's going on out there. And they just want to be white or they just feel like, you know, I think, I think racism 
comes in all forms. It's not just white or black or Mexican. You know, we got, you know, racist against by black people, by by Mexicans or other, you know, people or other races too. But but the thing is that for the past few years, you, you see that, you know, things have changed a lot with COVID and with a lot of things with the all the hatred and, you know, and division that we are going through. However, you know, Asian people are the community that very quiet, successful in a way, you know, they're being built as successful, quiet, and very passive and not very active in community, you know, outside of their own community. Um, and they just feel like, oh, you just you know, put your head down and do your own thing and everything's going to pass. And, you know, but but now it's different, you know, with all the hatred and with all the name calling and 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 everything that, you know, people should go out there and, and, and fight, fight for, 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 for their right and also fight for justice. And, and you just can't see, can't look at other people being beaten up and and say otherwise that no, we have no racism in this country. Are you out of your mind? Why don't you just get out of Vietnamese town or Chinatown and go somewhere else, go to rural Texas and, you know, <laughs> and try to, to see if there's racism out there. Just don't stay in your little hole and then, you know, and, and and speak up for everyone else, and and I think it's I think it's bad because they speak and you know that they that they write about it on Facebook or or, or social media or they tell their um, relatives here that oh no 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 you know you know black people are troublemakers blah blah blah, but then they don't see that that four hundred years of slavery and then now you know. Um, I mean, it, it takes a lot more, you know, they need to, to be more engaged in the country that they call home mm-hmm. and they call their own countries, but they, they, they know nothing about it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's horrible to see right now. And I don't, I mean, I can understand the reasons because someone has been amping all these races up for five years, but it's just horrible to see that people take that physical action of beating people up or whatnot or I've seen spray paint on businesses and well, I don't understand what goes through people's heads that they think that that's ever appropriate to do you know uh, I think I think it's because they feel they're not confident in themselves and they feel useless in a way you know they can't better themselves to the level that they can be they can have a better job mm or they make their life better, then they take it out on other people. Gotta blame someone else, right? Instead of, there's a, a cartoon I've seen for many years is one of the the most amazing things that kind of rich capitalists, elites, whatever you want to call them have done is being able to turn people against each other. So for example, exactly like you're saying, they'll blame the Mexicans or blame Asians or blame whatever for them not having a job or a well-paying enough job, instead of blaming the people above them, you know, that's that's not paying the wages or not giving them the right conditions. It's uh, it's unbelievable 
trick that they've managed to pull on everyone to be able to turn everyone against each other. Exactly, exactly. And then there are there are a lot of things that uh, I think that we could do as a community, you know, uh, awareness that uh, that that we can we can do with uh, America and not just America. There's you know so the world has changed so much, and we integrate so many cultures into each other without smoothing it. And first, that people, I think people get shocked. And um, I, I, I just feel like there's a lot that need to be done. And uh, it's all through education. Mm all through the education and everything that you need to to fix you can't fix any problem right away um like i say I always talk about you know you know bonsai mm -hmm. you know if you want to you know want grow a tree and the trees just grow in a different direction that you don't want and if you want to straighten it up you can't just straighten it up you know, it will break. So what do you do? You get, you know, just day by day. You get a string, pull it up a, a little bit, you tie it, and the next day pull it up a little bit. And eventually, you know, there's there's no quick fix to it. But then we have to start from somewhere. Mm. We all have to start from somewhere. That's awesome. I like that one. That's a good good analogy. I didn't know that about bonsai trees, right? There you go. Exactly. <laughs> It's that, not just bonsai, but it's, you know, little yeah. trees that you grow, you know, my, and, and I saw that with my grandmother and she, she grew a, a chili tree, a chili pepper tree. And that's, that's how she, she, she did. Oh, cool. And I asked her, well, now, why don't you just, you know, pull it? And she said, no, you pull it. It, 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 it breaks right away. So you have to pull it slowly every day, every day. Oh, cool. I like that. So tell me then. <laughs> How did you go from a drunken decision of I'm opening up a street food restaurant, a street side restaurant, to being on Netflix? I'm assuming that's similar. It was just a small day by day. It didn't happen quickly. I think, actually, for me, I think it happened very quickly. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, I was just lucky. I When I cooked, um, I didn't know how to cook Vietnamese food very well. <laughs> And of course, being in Texas and, and, and eating crawfish almost every day in crawfish season there, I loved crawfish. And when I came back to Vietnam, I had uh, uh, two big bags of uh, Louisiana crab boil seasoning. Uh, I thought that, oh, when I go back to Vietnam, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try uh, Vietnamese seafood, you know, the seafood in Vietnam, all fresh and live. Uh, to f feed to my family, you know, to treat my uh, my my family, and then when I um, started cooking, I said, "Man, I can't compete. <laughs> <laughs> I I have to I I have to think of some different ways to make myself different." Uh, and then I I I uh, I make Cajun shrimp and I make Cajun dishes and uh, and then and then I. 
Uh, also, my first job in Vietnam was to work for my aunt, and we I worked at an uh, organic farm. And at that time, it was still something very new and and very, very new. And people didn't get used to that term yet, used to organic vegetables yet. Um, so I introduced to my street food restaurant, um, and I introduced asparagus to street food, and, and everyone loved it. Um, then, you know, the words got around. And at that time, Facebook was not as popular as now that every time you turn in, you see like 10,000 ads running. But at that time, it's still, it was still was of mouth. So, and people started talking a lot. And then I started having a large crowd. And I have a lot of expats or I have a lot of foreigners. I have a lot, a lot of tourists just pass by and... And and uh, and eat and then the where Vietnamese. Where was this? Where was the restaurant or the street food? Um, Mackenzie mm. Street, also in District One, and then uh, people started talking about it. And just one day, you know, someone called me and said, "Hey, uh, um, we want to interview you for something." And uh, but first, I just opened, and then I got you know the first year, first. Uh, uh, I think on the January 1st, on, I got on Asia Lives magazine. And that was just, just a short time after I opened uh, the restaurant. So I, I think I got very lucky. And then I got written up um, by some other, you know, English uh, newspaper or magazines. And uh, I got on... Um, airline to airline magazine too in such a short time but uh i think i was very lucky at that time with uh with everything that came all at once and then someone called me and asked me and i didn't know what netflix was and i didn't, I didn't even know the person that was going to uh you know i was going to uh host with him or to be in the show with him I really didn't know at all until I I met him and then um, I started reading more about him uh, <laughs> because at that time I was still cooking in the kitchen. I had my my restaurant. I was in the kitchen all the time. You know, early in the morning I still had to do my um, because I try to do you know ingredients, no MSG, no sugar, and then. Um, Safe to eat vegetable and seafood. I I I sources in you know Fukuok Island and and all very it has to be healthy and safe to eat. So I spend a lot of time doing the shopping and cooking. So by the time you know I get to bed and you know I'm all tired. So I didn't read a lot until you know I got into that show. Uh, and I met Phil, and he turned out to be one of the greatest person that I ever met in my life. He changed my life uh, with another person. Was, his name is Chris Shefford. But anyways, um, Phil, until now, he's still very, very, he's still a very, very good friend of mine. You know, we still keep in touch, and he's not... Uh, he's such a big celebrity, but he doesn't act like a celebrity at all. He's very down to earth, you know, very uh, compassionate. Uh, just he's really, really nice. I, I just love him. Um, 
And and yeah, it's just I got on Netflix, and then for some reason, you know, people just started calling me. Uh, and then after you know, cooking, you know, Cajun style. Now I'm just I'm all over. I have a a sushi restaurant, and I have a noodle restaurant. And I start to learn more, you know, more and more and more. And then now I'm going to you know, I've been finding the lost recipes of Vietnam, and that's my passion now. You know, fish sauce and the lost recipes of Vietnam that you know my grandmother used to cook for me, and then you know the, the 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 dishes that's so complicated or so simple um, that people don't make anymore. At what point? When was the first time you were you were given the label celebrity chef? <laughs> I. I went back to uh, the U.S. I opened my restaurants, and all of a sudden, I opened a newspaper, and then they already knew they like well, a celebrity, you know, Netflix star coming to Houston. <laughs> so you weren't the one putting it out there. You weren't like calling yourself it. No, that- <laughs> no. I I did obviously I did a quick bit of research on you. By research, I mean I googled your name, and I found uh, an article that you went. Did something in Ballarat. Yes, yes. I've been to Ballarat. Oh, really? I used to live in Melbourne. I thought that was so funny. It's a beautiful little town, right? Uh, so that, that just made me laugh that you've been to Ballarat. How did you end up there? Oh, I, uh, my, my, I was just some, some of my um, fans uh, on Facebook, she uh, called me. One time she texted me, she's like, could I talk to you? I said, yes. And I just saw that we had, you know, no relation or I don't know this person, but she's like, could I talk to you? I said, yes. And then she's like, uh, I've been following you on Facebook. And, uh, but I have, uh, I opened a restaurant in Ballarat and I have some difficulty. So I just gave her uh, advice, like, and then I encouraged her and kind of, um, talk her out of depression. <laughs> um, she wasn't depressed, but she she felt like she, you know, it was really hard for her to do it because she uh, didn't know how to cook and she had to rely on, on a chef that he, um, maybe that she, it was just too different. They didn't agree on a lot of things. I assume she was uh, Vietnamese. She was Vietnamese. Vietnamese yeah, she she was Vietnamese, and her husband was Australian. Um, and then she came back to Vietnam on New Year, the Luna New Year, and and we started talking. And and then she said that her chef left, um, and she invited me to uh, go to. Uh, to to Australia, I said, "Oh wow, cool! I've never been to Australia. I've been to Europe and you know, other continents, but not Australia. So let's go." So I went there, and then just hang out with uh, with her and uh, her husband, and I showed them some dishes, you know, just to 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 cook and just show her how to run the restaurant, uh, and then we 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 just. We have become very good friends too. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah, so that was when I read that article. I think it opened with Celebrity Chef. That was the first time I read it. 
one of the signs I always say of uh, a good podcast interview and episode is when we could just keep on talking all day. And I feel like I could just keep talking. There's so much I want to ask you, but we should wrap it up. So we're going to move on to the final questions that I ask everyone on season six. Now, the first question is, and I'm interested to hear your reaction as a chef. Have you tried durian? I have. <laughs> and what do you think of it? I think it's the, it's like blue cheese. <laughs> that's the first time it's been compared to blue cheese, and I think that's perfect. Yes, people. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, the 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 people that love it, they really really love it. Or the people that hate it, they really hate it. It's really so, divisive, isn't it? If there's yeah. no, I've never met anyone that's in the middle. That's oh yeah, it's okay. You you either hate it or you love it. So which one are you? Um. I I love it, but I don't love it that much because uh, to me uh, to me I think it's just too rich. I have one or two. That's it, but not not like something that I'm craving uh, for a lot. Eating one or two, I think, is yeah. impressive. I can't do it. I'm not a fan. Now, my next question. I normally in the previous seasons I've asked about motorbikes because we're the name of the podcast Seven Million Bikes is because there are now over eight million motorbikes in Saigon alone over 60 million in Vietnam, but I've changed it up as a Saigoneer yourself. You'll have noticed, as we talked about already, the increasing wealth in Vietnam and in Saigon. And one of the ways that you can notice that is the cars, right? There's so many nice cars now in Saigon. You see on a daily basis, a Rolls Royce, a Bentley, a Maserati. But recently I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this, the paint jobs are terrible. People are buying these really expensive cars and then making them just look disgusting. An example I've been given every episode is I, I saw a bedazzled Mercedes. So this was a beautiful Mercedes-Benz. The whole thing was glitter, like silver glitter. I saw a Porsche that had decals put on it to make it look like the car from Cars. Lightning McQueen, is that his name? So this is blowing my mind. So for you, what's the craziest car that you've seen <laughs> in Saigon recently? I have seen... A wooden Ferrari. <laughs> Wait, what? A wooden Ferrari? Yes. <laughs> in Saigon? In Saigon. Made to look like wood or actually wood? I think it was actually wood. <laughs> okay, that might be the winner of so far. A wooden Ferrari. Yes, a wooden Ferrari. And then I think the, the whoever that drives it must be, you know, a... a, a a, a fanatic of Ferrari. <laughs> so we talk again. We talked again earlier about understanding different cultures. So that for me, I cannot understand this culture here of buying a beautiful car and then bedazzling it or making it wood. What do you? Can you explain the cultural thought process to doing that? I think it's just you know people want attention. You know, <laughs> it's just simple. Yeah, in in the U.S., people really don't care what car you drive unless you know you're dating someone. <laughs> not always, not always the case, yeah. but uh, people don't really care what car you drive. You know, uh, not as much as here. But then here, maybe when people they buy a car, some people do want attention. Some people do feel like, oh, I you know, it's my car, my dream car. Then I. Uh, Maybe I should do something fun with it. And another, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Another thing is that it's really cheap to change. 
But what blows my mind is these cars are so beautiful, so expensive, like maybe a half a million dollar car. That's attention enough. Like you're going to get, people are going to be like, wow, look at that car. It's just next level. Anyway, I could go on all day about these cars. My next question is, what is something that um, happens in Vietnam that would look strange in America? Of course, picking your nose. <laughs> <laughs> that's been that's that's been brought up before, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that yeah. was when I first moved here. Was you couldn't understand going to a coffee shop and seeing a guy with his finger like knuckle deep up his nose. And then another thing is that kissing, you know, not mouth kissings, but here, you know, people kiss differently. Like uh, when I came back here, I had a girlfriend here, and then I, I I kissed her on the a cheek, and she's like, "No, you don't love me." I'm like, "Why?" You know, she's like, "You don't kiss the right way," you know. And then uh, and then my girlfriend went to uh, my other girlfriend, you know, uh, when when uh, not my other, but the girlfriend after <laughs> she went to the U.S. with me, and when she kissed me, and then my employee said. Oh, she's sniffing you. She's not kissing you. She, I'm like, no, Vietnamese do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're sniffing and they call that uh, kissing. You yeah, know, that's a new one. Then I didn't know that one. Well, conversely, what's something that is done in America that would look strange in Vietnam? Waving. <laughs> it's very. It's it's it's, it's funny. Um, in America, we wave people with the finger upward like this. You know. We're not going to be able to, can we, you're going to have to try and explain that because people can't see what you're doing. And, and uh, yeah, it's like you, you, you put your hand, you know. It's like if you beckon someone, right? Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Yes, yes. You're like, hey, come here, let's come, let's go. Or, you know, you just do your finger like this. I don't know how you describe it. You have your you palm know, up, Your right? palm, yeah, your palm up and then you... You know, you, you're backing the, 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 the fingers. But then here in Vietnam, you know, but when we do it and do this, you know, with your palm, palm down. down, then you just for little kids or for, you know, dogs or cat, you know. Yeah. But here is vice versa. So one time I call my, my, my girlfriend. I'm like, Emily, let's go. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, I'm like, we let's go. And like, she's like, you so disrespectful. <laughs> These are the cultural differences that you need to know. I didn't learn that one until I'd been here like two or maybe even three years that I learned that it's different. Because to me, if you have your, it's hard if you if you don't know what we're talking about. But if you yeah. have your palm down and you beckon someone, it's really rude in the West. Yes. Whereas yes, here, that's just normal. Like, come here. And yes, cultural differences, right? And final question, what advice would you give to yourself before you went to America for the first time? I think I would give myself advice of not being too sensitive of the new things around me um, so that I wouldn't get too culture shocked. And also not to, you know, I, I would I would be more confident, you know. I have to get more confidence just going out there, being out there, talking to people, and whatever that people do different differently from 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 me or from the people that in my own country, then it's just because they're different, 
you know. Awesome. Well, look, thank you very, very much. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed our chat. Um, tell our listeners, where can they eat at your restaurant? Where can they see you on Netflix? Where can they read about you? Go. Yes. Hi, everyone. You could find me on Netflix with uh, Somebody Feed Phil and David Chang, Ugly Delicious, uh, and Street Food, and with a show on NBC it called The Travel Voyager. Uh, and you could eat my my restaurant at uh, 2502 Lavi. Houston, Texas, 77006. And you could try my, you could eat at my restaurant here in Vietnam. I have a sushi bar, an oyster bar, a, a noodle house, and a seafood occasion restaurant, um, uh, all in District 1 on Hoang Sa Street and Trang Nhật Yok, Tung Dinh also in District 1. Sweet. And any more restaurants in the pipeline or are you taking a break now? It seems like you've got enough. Honestly, in the beginning of the pandemic, I, I just stopped wanting to expand. Uh, but now I, I still, I love Vietnamese food. And the reason why I opened my restaurant in the U.S., not to make money. Of course, when you open a business, it's, it's, you have to make money. But the reason why I opened the restaurant in the U.S. because I want to prove to people that there are so much more. So there's so much more than than pho and spring roll and banh mi. You know, Vietnamese food, you hear, you love you, you know. You know, there are there, there, there are so many more, you know, dishes that 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 Vietnam has to offer to the world um, that I want to bring that. I want to bring that outside of my community so my my restaurant in in is like in midtown houston and i want to introduce more to um you know other people outside my communities about vietnamese food so it's not just about pho it's not about banh mi and i don't go there to make cheap pho i don't i don't go there to make cheap pho i go there to to introduce to people you know you know how dynamic and how you know creative Vietnamese food is and I really want to open another noodle noodle bar that sells all kinds of noodles you know you you hear so you should know what mm. I'm talking about well we're gonna go and eat some Mekong Delta satay noodles for lunch so let's uh let's go and do that I'm hungry now all this talk of food has made me very hungry. Quick last question. I told you I could keep talking. Last question. Give a very quick answer. What do Vietnamese people in Houston think of Viet Gin food? The fusion of Vietnamese and Cajun food. They created that. They like it? They like it. Yeah. yeah. But I think they should be more proud of it because it's, it's just in their lives that they don't, they don't see it as something that they should appreciate. Should be proud of themselves. Mm. We we are we are the one that bring crawfish and Cajun to life outside of Texas and Louisiana. That's pretty cool. Let's go eat food. I'm starving now. Thank you very much, Nikki. This was awesome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Let's go. 
Thanks very much for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. Don't forget to subscribe from wherever you're listening from right now. Turn on the notifications as well so you never miss an episode. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you go back through. We've got five seasons of amazing guests that you can listen to their stories as well. Please get in touch. I always love to hear from our listeners. It's one of the best things when I wake up in the morning and I open up Instagram or Facebook and I've had a message from someone telling me that they've been listening from America or Australia or anywhere in the world. So please let me know where you're listening from or Vietnam as well, obviously. Um, I always love to hear from people. I want to give a massive thank you again to our Patreon members, Brandon Thompson and Zion Johnson. If you do enjoy this content, you can support 7 Million Bikes of Vietnam podcast on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and get access to exclusive member benefits like free tickets to comedy shows or even a free 7 Million Bikes t-shirt as well. So check that out in the show notes, as I said. And you can also buy me a coffee or a beer if you want on coffee.com. So make sure you check that out. So thanks again for listening. Really hope you enjoy season six and you can stay tuned for the future episodes. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.